0: everybody. Welcome to Hit Rewind. We are now in the end run of 1994, only two more episodes ago. Uh, One with Jacob, one with John, and I am with Jacob right now. And we're going to start off with...
1: The River Wild.
0: Okay, I have not seen this since it came out originally. And back then, I was a hardcore action junkie. And it wasn't satisfying me because it's more of an adventure thriller. And I just watched it now, and it is adult... I must say this is added to my top. It'll be easily top ten, maybe top five of 1994. I was absolutely astounded.
1: No, for, uh, for real. And uh, Kevin Bacon of all people to be a villain, and John C. Riley too.
0: Yeah, well, this one started
1: getting more serious.
0: I'm trying to remember where this is. Uh, Kevin Bacon. Well, he had a, a somewhat darker role in Flatliners four years earlier, but he wasn't a bad guy necessarily, and. I just can't think of anything else that he was a villain. And after this, though, it's like he became the go-to guy for villainous stuff. Yes, he had Apollo 13, uh, but then he did um, Sleepers, where he's that horrible uh, guard of the youth center. Um, There's Hollow Man. Uh, Stir of Echoes isn't a bad... He's not a bad guy, but it's a very dark role. And it just seems like... That was a thing. Now people saw him as that instead of, like, the romantic comedy guy or whatever, the, 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 the human drama kind of stuff. And, uh, I mean, it's much as a showcase for him, but it's also a showcase for Meryl Streep. And this is during her I'm-stretching-out-of-academy-award-winning kind of movies. You know, like she had done She-Devil and uh, Death Becomes Her, Postcards from the Edge, and this to try to get her into a mainstream audience kind of uh, feel. Oh,
1: gosh, and it's Meryl Streep, dude. If people didn't know who she was by now, then I don't know what to tell them. Again, she easily goes into this role flawlessly. Like, you could tell she would have, she seems like she would be, like, you know, someone who would be a former park ranger, you know, kind of daredevil, uh, river rafting.
0: Yeah, well, and I'm sure, because she was always a method actress, is that she trained quite a bit for this role. Oh, absolutely, and you could
1: tell. She looks like she would be doing that shit. Like, it's
0: Meryl Streep. Yeah, I'm trying to think of anybody else at the time that could have pulled it off. Maybe Goldie, but she doesn't seem tough. You know what I mean? Like, you have to sell this, especially back then when people weren't really ready for it.
1: Exact. That may be. Even though she, uh, what was it called, Wildcats? Where yeah. she was that hype, football
0: yeah. coach? Yeah, yeah, if that was a comedy, though, I don't know. You'd have to pull off some dramatic weight with it. But in, in as much as this is an adventure movie, this is a character piece. And most of the tension comes from the dialogue that they're presenting to each other and the situation that builds. And if you haven't seen it, it's this mysterious group of three guys that are constantly uh, going down the river at the same time, Meryl Streep and her husband. Um, very underrated. David Strathairn. I didn't know it got his name on the poster. This is a hell of a performance for him because a lot of times in these movies if the female's more dominant, the male sits back and he doesn't have much to do. You know, he's usually a bland guy or vice versa. She's a damsel in distress. Whereas this movie gives equal balance to both because especially when they're split up and he has to survive. Yes. and You know, trying to climb that, that mountain or whatever and then get through to them and set up the traps. Uh, I just thought it was a really great performance because he's he, he wants to protect his family, but he's stuck in these situations where he just can't
1: exactly um one they're armed and they have a gun uh first and foremost and again even in that one moment where he's trying to write sos to benjamin bratt who was uh Art ranger who knew meryl streep yeah, again he couldn't have done that because guess especially with kevin bacon catching on yeah well like I... he's just very aware
0: Yeah, and C. Riley plays a dope in this, and this kind of sets the pattern. Like, for years, he just kind of played a dope or a lackless, or what do you call it, hapless loser. Um, But I think there's a lot going on in the performance that's not just a dumb guy going along. He gives a lot of nuance to what he's doing. Absolutely. Have you watched his new show, uh, Winning Season? I think it was Winning Time or something like that, about the LA Lakers on HBO?
1: heard a lot of really good things about it and i don't doubt uh john c riley's dramatic dramatic abilities i mean that's kind of how i grew up with him first before knowing he was uh
0: comedy yeah because you know what was the first thing you probably saw him the boogie nights
1: yeah it was boogie nights and i think it was also that one with sean penn
0: oh yeah casual cheese of war yeah 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 but uh,
1: yeah again uh Boogie Nights, yeah, I think was the first thing I'd seen him in, and then Magnolia, and uh, oh gosh, even a small part in uh, Gangs of New York. But I never did see him uh, as much of a comedic actor
0: ever. And then it was it was the when he started joining up with Will Farrells when he became kind of like a household name.
1: Yeah, that's when like heck, that's what ended up landing him uh, Dewey Cox. <laughs>
0: As far as like starring in his own movies, yeah. Um, I'm trying to look here. Uh, so Curtis Hanson is the director. He had just come off of doing The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. And have you seen Hand, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle? No, I have not. You, it's in my voodoo. Go check it out. It's a phenomenal performance by uh, Rebecca De Mornay, and you can see why um, Rebecca De DeMor- I'm sorry, uh, Meryl Streep wanted to work with him because he gives so much depth to the female characters that he works with. And of course after this he would go on to win an Oscar for LA Confidential.
1: Oh no, you're right. Isn't that where Rebecca de is like a nanny and she's trying to of that baby because that baby's mom reported the doctor she was in love with.
0: Right, correct.
1: Uh, okay, yeah, now I remember. Oh god, yes, that was such a good movie. That was a fucking creepy movie.
0: Yes it was. Um yeah, I, I highly recommend this. Apparently, there's a sequel slash remake coming soon. I hope it doesn't go straight to video, but it's from one of those companies that usually does. They're the ones like keeping you know like the Jarhead and the, the the Scorpion King, Dragonheart movies still churning them out. But it looks like it's a little bit higher quality with its cast and and the people behind the scenes. So here's hoping. Uh, this time it's about siblings going down the river and they uh, they get entangled with a group of. Here's the weird thing: is the villain looks like it's played by Terran Killam. So that's wild to me.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I think Taron Kiln could have a lot of range. I mean, he's been acting ever since he was a kid. Loved him on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And then he was also in Hamilton uh, on Broadway.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. I only knew that he did that Killing Gunther, and I haven't seen him since. But also, don't pay attention to TV really anymore.
1: Yeah, no. I I really like Taron Kiln. I will definitely see it just for him.
0: All right. So what is our next film?
1: Okay, our next movie would be uh, Baby's Day Out.
0: I wasn't going to include this because I wasn't sure if it held up. This is one of those that I saw when it first came out. We thought it was hysterical, like we're all in tears. And um, I was like, oh, you know, it's lesser John Hughes. It was a huge flop. And I watched it, I don't know, like a month ago. When we had that horrible, horrible storm. And uh, I was still laughing my ass off. It's, it's an impressive uh, film because... You got animatronics, you got all the, you know, the, the, the special cutaways, the, the stunts, the special effects. It is, um, it's Home Alone, like, on speed.
1: <laughs> I feel like that is, uh, that is definitely a good comparison of it. Yeah, Home Alone, like, you know, these three professional criminals kidnapping a baby for ransom. A very rich baby all the hijinks uh just because this kid's reenacting you know all the moments from its favorite book and to see brian haley joe matania joe pantoliano be in these like little screwball klutzy you know situations <laughs> especially considering their repertoire no it's yeah it is like i like it's like oh my god perfect opportunity for them to go kind of in a family comedic uh live action kind of genre
0: yeah it's three stooges it's straight up a love letter to three stooges and it, the, the part without the baby isn't really all that interesting the drama that's back in the house it's you know it's whatever i guess it's necessary but um the, the the set pieces that they put together are hysterical the the funniest one to me is when he's playing with the lighter under the coat when they're trying to talk to the cops <laughs> And he is setting Joe Montana's balls on fire. <laughs> and, Brian, and Brian Haley putting it out I thought was just... <laughs> just stomping his nuts. Jesus. <laughs> That's not
1: put on a fire.
0: <laughs> Brian Haley is a guy who I'm really surprised never broke out. He's one of those guys I assumed was going to be a big star, but everything he did after this just tanked. And, you know, like five years later... He's done. He, he he did this. He did uh, Mikhail's Navy. He, um, he was in the last season or two of Wings. He took over for... Um, oh, damn it. Who's the one that uh, He played Sandman in the Spider-Man movies. Son of a bitch. I can't remember. Uh, Thomas Hayden Church. Thomas Hayden Church. He took over for Thomas Hayden Church, but his last two seasons, so no one really cared. And he has one of the funniest stand-up specials. I think it's on, uh, on YouTube. It's not on HBO, even though it was one of their specials. Um, it's on YouTube, and his special is just so funny. And he has a very particular look. I guess he's their curly in this. Joe Montana is the Mo, and Joey Pants is the Larry of the, of the group. <laughs>
1: I love how you keep calling him Joey Pants. I'm pretty sure that was his nickname. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh,
0: me and my sister have always referred him to as Joey Pants.
1: Oh, God. You know who did surprise me was uh, Matthew Glaive. I remember him from... Uh, Wedding singer Yeah like Yeah
0: <laughs> This is, I think Really really early on In his career um, Let's say There's something in this That really surprised me I can't remember What the hell it was uh, Whatever I'll remember like Six weeks after this
1: They had uh, Let's see Lara Flynn Boyle And then Cynthia Nixon As well Being the nanny I'm like That was a bit of a surprise Putting on an English accent
0: Now I remember Okay so the building That they uh, live in Or no no the bad guys live in a building that's on a corner with a huge window. Um, it's a big set piece at the end of the movie as well. Do you remember that from The Crow?
1: Oh, my God. No wonder that building looks familiar.
0: Yeah, even Darla from The Crow is in the movie. She has a small part in it. must have been shot in North Carolina. Oh, it had to have been. That'd yeah. be the case. Oh, Eddie Bracken having a little cameo. It's oh, I sweet. love Eddie Bracken. Yeah, he's so nice, uh, fun. Yeah. Um, I think that's about it. I want to say, like, the set pieces that were the big thing in this, it's like, you know how in Dennis the Menace they had uh, the whole thing with Christopher Lloyd where it's just, like, ten minutes of wacky shenanigans on that pier? It's like that, but, like, five times during the movie, and then, of course, the big one is the insane set piece of the, the construction yard. Oh,
1: God, yeah. That had to be a blend of everything from, like, green screen to, like, an actual set piece of a construction art. Like, jeez.
0: Yeah, the stunts are Three Stooges, but that was more, like, Harold Lloyd, uh, Buster Keaton, you know, like, that kind of classic comedy. Oh,
1: absolutely. I mean, considering, like, how old the original book, Baby's Day Out, was, I feel like was all a bit of a nod to that.
0: Oh, this is a real book?
1: I feel like it was. I'm pretty sure. I felt like I read it when I was in uh, elementary.
0: Okay. I always thought that it was just made up for the movie. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah, I know. I'll have to jujle it. It's been too long.
0: (laughs) All right. What is the next film? (laughs) Okay. Next film,
1: uh, The Scout with... uh, Why am I blanking on his name? Albert Brooks? Al Brooks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Al Brooks and Brendan Fraser
0: the uh power. 1994 was a very rough year we talked about it on the last episode because of airheads but this without honors and airheads all tanked and all of a sudden he went from being a hot property to being cold as ice and, and it took him forever just to dig his way out of it and you know oddly enough george of the jungle's what did it but um i think this is a really good challenging performance for him because yes on the level a lot of the comedy is albert brooks uh, his uh, responses to stuff and it's his typical it feels like he wrote the script in his voice uh rewrote it but it's it's the reactions to brendan Fraser's behavior because he's a phenomenon he's do you remember that movie we watched like a few years ago uh or a few seasons ago i guess you want to call it with um a talent for the game that was it where he goes down to mexico and finds his kid like out of the middle of nowhere no 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 that's the scout uh but it's James Earl not James Earl Jones why am I having a moment here Edward James Olmos almost you know he finds that kid in like Iowa or whatever and you know he became he thinks he's going to be a phenomenon it's very similar to that except this one doesn't just deal with the fact that he's nervous And, and but this is like he has serious abandonment issues and social anxiety and panic attacks and rage and it's a lot more complicated than that other movie
1: I mean, as it clearly showed, I mean, in the movie, you know, he finds a hot shot pitcher, uh, his name, uh, not Michael Rappaport, is it? No, it's, no. Yeah, it's Michael Rappaport. Oh, it is Michael Rappaport. Okay, I was right. Damn it. So, yeah, he, he, he finds Michael Rappaport for the Yankees and Michael, Michael Rappaport, you know, being small town, being in Yankee Stadium, yeah, he like, has a complete panic attack, he gets he gets sick, and he leaves. And now, Albert Brooks has to go find something else all the way down to Mexico.
0: Yeah, because he's being punished. Here's the stupidest thing is it's not his fault. It's the goddamn owner and manager's fault because they're pushing this kid to the forefront immediately. You're supposed to warm them up in the minors first. You prepare them for at least a few weeks, for God's sakes, to deal with a bigger audience, a bigger you know showcase. And then maybe move him up to the major leagues. Don't hype it like crazy. They made this big promotional bullshit. So already they, they they cranked up his anxiety. So no wonder he both of the characters have panic attacks and freak out.
1: Oh, absolutely, yes. I mean of course in the case of Brendan Fraser though, what he did well, he was a phenomenon. They even had actual, you know, baseball stars come up and test him out. And he wowed them. Yeah, they already bought. They already like sold themselves into the hype that was built up already. And Al Brooks was just looking for more, you know, just looking for some kind of compensation, getting his way back into the organization. The Yankees of all of all uh, organizations, too. Yeah, like they, like I said, of all the major MLB organizations, they have the most money.
0: Right, and the pressure, so, the hype, there. It, like the difference between talent for the game was that was, like, I think, the Twins in that one, and the Twins were never like huge at that point. They were okay. But, yeah, you're talking yeah. the Yankees. Though they're the, the top-of-the-line hype machine.
1: Absolutely. And, of course, uh, as you see like with all the press conferences and stuff, and like all the photographers, Brendan Fraser like, starts to get anxiety and not liking it at all. And then, of course, we got Diane Weiss later in the movie, you know, a therapist, to try and figure out and analyze what's wrong with him. Yeah. And, of course, when it came to that little uh, cartoon of, like, a dad teaching his son to fish, then it's like, yeah, you know, that... You can clearly tell that triggers something, but he's just very hesitant to talk about it without, you know, Al Brooks being there. And again, this uh, I think it does uh, better, into this, you know, hot sh- this Hotshot character's mind than it did in the other movies. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and it's a lot about his selfishness. The, uh, Albert Brooks just will not stop being so focused on his career I mean, to be fair, though, he's under a lot of pressure. They're threatening him and stuff like that. And, and just, the, I, I can see how the pressure could get to him and his career could be over with uh, just like that. Um, but he really does, like, push him too hard. He lies to him a lot or, or just manipulates things so that he's okay.
1: Exactly, yeah. Just like the private conversation he has with Diane Wiest. Which is why which, like, she suggests that it should just be her and Brendan Fraser. Not both of them.
0: yeah. But, yeah, it, but then
1: in the end, like, he finally, when, uh, of course, and, uh, the Yankees actually do make it to the pennant, and they want to bring the kid up, because that was part of the deal. But, but everybody, pretty much at first, was saying, like, oh, yeah, they're not going to get to the pennant. This isn't going to be their year. Boom, lo and behold. Wrong. So, yeah. So that brought even more attention on the Brendan Fraser. You know, that's when things just were really getting to him. And then Brooks finally... Buckles down and realizes, like God damn it, I gotta help him.
0: <laughs> yeah, this and is uh, this is from Michael Ritchie, uh, kind of a king of sports movies. Had done Downhill Racer with Robert Redford, Bad News Bears, um, uh, Wildcats. Uh, he had just come off of Digstown, which was a boxing movie, and you know his last few had tanked. And this is the second or third to last because he had just come off of Cops and Robertson's which was a huge flop. And I think all he has left is uh, The Fantastics, which was a musical that got held for like five years on, on the shelf. And it's just kind of a sad end for our legendary director. I mean, come on, Fletch alone.
1: Absolutely. I actually enjoyed this movie more so than I would uh, for the love of the game. Even though I, I appreciate Ever James a uh, performance. That was more heart. This one was definitely a little bit more comedic and
0: heart. Yeah. And it's Brendan Fraser. Damn it! Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> All right. So what? What is our next film? Uh, this next one, Greedy. I
1: remember watching this as a kid. I couldn't remember what it was called, but my mom had rented it, and I could not forget that little musical number at the beginning. I think, I think,
0: I think, I think. <laughs> that's gonna stay with you. <laughs> the uh, this was hyped so heavily because this was supposed to be Michael J. Fox's comeback. He had just come off of two flops. Uh, it had been a few years since Doc Hollywood. It was from a red hot director who had just done My Cousin Vinny. It had an all star cast. I love all star comedy jams. Like where it's just everybody in it or like a really high percentage of it are people that are known for being funny. And whatever no, absolutely, reason, it didn't make any money. It made like 12 million dollars and I watch it now and I laugh my fucking ass off. It's so just rat-a-tat-tat insanity. These are the worst Goddamn people you've ever seen!
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, they are! I absolutely. I mean, everybody's kind of hoping Kirk Douglas would die so they someone would inherit the fortune. But it, it, it's so funny at the beginning. It's like, oh my God, I just, I was just, he was just here this morning. He was fine, and then he's dead. You know, because they're going out to meet Kirk Douglas, Uncle Joe, you know, all the family members, Ed Begley Jr., Phil Hartman, and. Oh my gosh, I can I, There's a few other names I cannot remember.
0: Well, it's Colin Camp. Um, uh, shit, Bill Bob Balaban I think is one of them. I think, yeah, Bob Balaban, the short little guy with the bald head. Joyce Heiser, who I have not seen since just one of the guys. Uh, Mary Ellen Trainer, who was always like the mom in the '80s. You know, like she was in *Lethal Weapon*, *Monster Squad*, stuff like that. Um, Goonies. Oh, yes, thank you. Siobhan Fallon, who Fallon, who was on SNL for only a couple seasons, and people forget about her, but she became, like, one of those known character actresses after that. Um, but it's all these greedy, like, th- the title of the movie or whatever, they, they're just so sycophantic to him. They all name their kids Joe or Josephine or Josie or something like that, and they're all just, like, they're kissing his ass when they want him dead so bad, and it's just it's really pathetic, and the only person to ever walk away was Michael J. Fox's character, Danny, who is now a professional bowler, but he's kind of hitting the end of his career. He's not really getting where he needs to go. And they desperately want him to come and visit uh, Uncle Joe. But he doesn't really want to be part of it, but he's also like, can I just borrow some money? Not like a lot of money, but borrow money so you can open a bowling alley because his career is basically over. And he's a little jealous because his girlfriend, Nancy Travis is kind of a successful news reporter. What do you call it? She runs like an ESPN division. and Yeah, she's... Yes. He's insecure about that. And through this, though, you see the constant manipulation. I'm not going to say Kirk Douglas is a good guy because the way he manipulates him and twists things, whatever, is pretty cruel.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean if you couldn't get that from the, Oh God, just from like that little swimming lesson. It's like, if you couldn't understand that, and it's like, yeah, no God. Or hell, even at the beginning when Ed, when Ed Bigley jr. And all the other relatives come in, it's like, you know, with the whole doctor being dead and all that. You know, yeah. And it's like, I wouldn't know what to tell you what to watch out for this guy.
0: Yeah. And it's just this, the, the manipulation of yeah, I'll give you the money, but you got to wrestle me first. I'm like, what the fuck?
1: absolutely all just so he can you know all just so he can like uh kind of test who would be take care of him because he knows because he's more than aware that everybody else just wants him dead and wants his money and his inheritance and their inheritance
0: yeah it's, so, a, it's just a mind game well listen. also there's there's the thing of the rest of his family manipulating him into thinking that Olivia Diablo's character is going to be like the sexy nurse who's going to come in and take all the money, you know. And so, and but he wants to defend. He feels like he's protecting Uncle Joe. It's really complicated emotional, especially for his character.
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I know. He loves his Uncle Joe and he knows he needs the money, but, like, all the hoops that he's putting him through is just like driving him nuts like to the point where you know thinking that he has dementia like he can't even remember like a particular uh, account from his uh, steel mill like people they did business with like he's saying that like stuff's been closed for years and you know he might not be as rich as he once was like you know like he's a like, completely out of touch yeah Only, and then of course like to to the meeting with the lawyers yeah it just hit Michael J Fox and he just can't take it anymore in fact, to the point where his own biological father comes in. Now the, that was the one that got away. His dad.
0: Yeah. Well, then he. Well, he lies when he hires that actor to be him.
1: Yeah, and then I think during the meeting he actually shows up.
0: Yeah, and there's and remember, you, you can feel the shame in it, and I just it's kind of sucky that not only did this not open at number one, I mean. It opened at number two after Ace Ventura, but Ace Ventura had been out for a month already, so that really doesn't. It only made thirteen million dollars. There was so much hype, like ready for this because it was from Ron Howard and Brian Grazer. It was from the guys that wrote like Night Shift and Splash, guys like us, Gung Ho, you know, City Slickers, A League of Their Own, and just whatever reason nobody showed up for it. Critics didn't even like it, which is kind of a shame.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I'm like, I don't know how this was an unlikable movie.
0: And then, oh, God, the ending. <laughs> oh, that is, don't spoil it for anybody. If you haven't seen it, holy shit, your jaw will be on the fucking floor. I, I I knew it was coming. I hadn't seen it in a while. I knew it was coming, but I couldn't remember how they executed it. And I was like, oh, that was genius. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, think it, it's
1: what made my, I think it's what made my mom laugh the most when we were watching it. Like, oh, my God. But, again, Phil Hartman, that fight scene, uh, when they found out that, you know, when they found out about Kurt Russell's uh, finances, <laughs> that little pretend fight
0: scene they were having, where he's just getting his face laid onto the table, oh. that was pure physical comedy. God, that was so genius. good. Yeah, Phil <laughs> <Bill> Hartman <laughs> almost steals the movie because his role is so demented and evil. Oh, and hands down, yes. Yeah. So it's like we love you, Phil Hartman, but I just don't like this character. I want him to him. <laughs> The uh, <laughs> what's the next film we're gonna discuss? Okay. I think we're getting to the last
1: one. We've already discussed Baby Stay Out, River Wild, The Scout, Greedy. And now we're getting on to Wagon's East, which was John Candy's last film.
0: Yeah, not the last released one because the last one was Canadian Bacon, which was held up because I think there were some scenes missing or something. Just like Wagon's East, they had to go in and fill it in. So Canadian Bacon sat on the shelf for a while and got released in 95. Um... This is the one that he passed away on and they had to have stand-ins and, and, and shoot around the fact. Thank goodness... I mean, there's a way to cover that up because he had a huge beard and long hair and a hat or whatever. Um, this is one of the most hated movies of all time. If you look at the like 100 worst movies of all time, I don't understand why. I held off from watching this because of that. This is a massive flop. It was kind of expensive... It was towards the end of Carrolco's run where uh, they just kind of had flop after flop after flop. Um, I don't right. know. How, I don't know how you feel about it, but I thought the movie was pretty good.
1: Yeah, no, there were some parts that were kind of like tough to attach to, but for me, I think if I were to say like one of the uh, I did enjoy is John C. McGinley as Julian.
0: Yeah, it's. It was really progressive in 1994 to have a character that was homosexual, but also didn't play it up. Like, he ha- has the mannerisms that he has, but he's not a wimp. He's fucking tough as nails, actually, in one part. And I just, I, I thought it was a really smart uh, direction to go with that character at a time when everybody was just like, Oh, I'm such a prince. You know what I mean? Like, uh,
1: I don't know Oh uh, yeah. But don't underestimate his love for books, though. I mean, that could go to anybody
0: who is a a reader and would love Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Holy fuck, (laughs) when that guy comes in looking for a book to wipe his ass with. Sweet Jesus. I was in hysterics, but also, like, shocked. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So, yeah,
1: I don't blame blame, uh, Eugene's reaction to that. John McGinley. No, Julian. John McGinley's character.
0: So originally there was supposed to be a comedy with John Candy and Sylvester Stallone where they were neighbors that were rivals. And the production fell apart, but he was still uh, attached contractually to doing a movie for Caracol and they were running a business, so they had to get the movie made. Um, so, it's, 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 so he had to take the movie and so they tried to do some patch up of the script as it was going but you can see... I think John Candy might be the weak point of this movie, not just because he is missing from some of the footage, but also it just seems like he doesn't have the energy to, to want to make this. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it definitely seemed like he was out of it.
0: Yeah, it's uh, Richard Lewis is really carrying a bunch of this. It's a huge cast, though. It's not just John Candy. Is it? This is kind of like... um, Oh, what is the movie? Speed Zone. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. With... Um, uh, Eugene Levy and John Candy where it's this huge cast. It's it's, it's the third Cannonball Run movie. Um,
1: yes, I think I know
0: which one you're talking about. So he's in... He is the lead, technically, but it really spends a lot of time focusing on the, the really fun, goofy cast. And I love... The fact that they're like, you know what? The West sucks. This isn't working for us. we got to go back. (laughs) (laughs) And the government doesn't want that because it makes it look bad, you know, because they want to sell lots of land or whatever. So they want to stop them. But then they hire, like, okay, so the bad guy in this is Ed Lauder. And he's, like, a sniper, mercenary guy, whatever. He's, like, in every fucking western for like 30 years he's just that guy a big bald he looks like a pencil <laughs> um, i love his performance in this but this is richard lewis's like coming out as a lead and sadly it was basically his only lead role i think
1: yes oh no and you also got to hand it to like robert picardo
0: oh yeah well. yeah yeah. and then you know
1: who i liked uh rodney grant like one of the indigenous uh actors that was with him That ended up traveling with them, you know, after they ran into that particular tribe. Yeah. Oh
0: yeah. Well, then we have Ellen Green, who I don't think I've seen since uh, fucking Little Shop of Horrors.
1: Yes, the one who played Belle, the one that uh, was love interest.
0: I think one of the weak parts of this, though, is the director. It has a huge scope. It looks great, but the director of this is not a guy known for comedy. His name's Peter Markle, and he had done a really good Western before this uh, with um, Lou Gossett Jr. and Anthony Edwards called El Diablo, and it's lightly funny. That's the closest you get to this. So he knew how to do a Western. He could handle a little bit of comedy, but not this style of comedy, which is almost like spook, satire. It's borderline. No, absolutely. I mean, yeah, this one's
1: definitely – yeah, it is a comedy, a Western comedy. Not trying to be too spoofy like Mel uh, Blazing Saddles was, but like it, it actually s- sits out as an actual western. Yeah, like, it's... a million ways to die in the West.
0: Right. It's it's a big wacky comedy, but it is a real western too. Um, I think, and I think the best spoof, wacky comedies, whatever, still need a solid ground of a plot. And if you don't have that, it's just diarrhea jokes, like the fucking you know, like scary movie or whatever superhero movie. You know those guys that put together those terrible movies for a while, Meet the Spartans, that kind of thing. Um, Because if you take out the comedy, do you still have a movie? Yes, you do. Exactly. So I think I think it's horribly underrated. It's only available like in a garbage widescreen or a, a full screen like VHS copy on online, but it's free on Tubi if you want to check it out.
1: Yeah, no, I do have to say, like, learned Sartain and Ethan Phillips' uh, memes when they were playing off each other, <laughs> I mean, I thought it was just like absolutely hilarious, especially when Ethan Phillips thinks he's getting fired, just because he got dismissed, he's like, no, no, you're not fired, I'm dismissing you, just get out. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like I said, their chemistry bounced off so well, and oh gosh, and then bringing in the uh, villain, oh god, Charles Rocket.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Craig was in this, yeah. <laughs>
1: I like how he was in denial, even though he was like muttering and like acting wild in his sleep. And then when it's like uh, first officer comes up and tries to wake him up, he's like, "Do you know um, this particular person? You know James Harlow? He's like, "No." was
0: <laughs> So then, go ahead. Uh, and then I love how he's just like
1: so despised by his own troops later on during the big fight between him and John Candy. <laughs> and even his first officer is like, "Go Harlow, yeah, I
0: said it. What are you going to do about it, sir?" <laughs> <laughs> the so of the five movies, w- what have you seen before?
1: Um, vividly, yeah. Uh, River Wild and Greedy. Okay. What I
0: I do like about this show is that I get to. Sh- to get you to experience movies you've never seen before, stuff that was under the radar that's been forgotten uh, through time. Eventually, we're going to get to, like, how old were you when this came out? Like, six? You were born 88, yeah, right? I only,
1: yeah, I was
0: only six. Yeah, so there's going to be a, a point, obviously, in the show where it's going to be like, well, yeah, I know most of these movies because I was old enough to start discovering what was on the video shelf and stuff like that. But for right now, it's it's fun for me to find these movies to present to you that you that you've never experienced before.
1: Yes, no, and it is. Uh, Not only do I enjoy that, but also, yeah, like revisiting some of these movies now as an adult. Like, oh my gosh. And the thing, Rotten Tomatoes gave this such a low score. Most,
0: yeah. Only one of these that was successful with critics and box office was uh, The River Wild.
1: Yeah, dang, everything else was a flop, sadly. Yep. It's just not fair.
0: Uh, ni- 1994 so is like the king of action movies if you look through the whole year it was like just non-stop action movies like every single week now most of them bombed obviously but it was just a time when you would get like these mid-budget action movies and we just don't get that anymore at best you'll get some like sold to hulu or, or Netflix or something like that, that were like, oh, hey, this is a nifty little $30 million action movie, you know? You don't get that anymore because everything now seems to be either very low-budget horror film or very, very high-budget event film. Exactly. But River Wild, r- yeah River Wild was treated like an event when it came out. I mean, we had that, Time Cop, Terminal Velocity. I'm trying to remember those few others around that time where it was just like, oh, it's a $30 million action film. That's cool.
1: Right, yes, of course. I mean, yeah, as a kid, heck, growing up, yeah, there was always action movies being, like, kind of just, like, plastered in your face with advertisements and, like, trailers and, like, go see this, the an action movie, yada, yada, yada.
0: So, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, they were being spit out left and right. Yeah, I mean, we have John Wick, I guess. Those aren't very expensive, but that's that's all I can think of. Oh, no, 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 no. Hold on. We have the greasy man, uh, Gerard Butler, putting out a movie that's like this. <laughs> planes out right now. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck yeah. I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> all right. So that's pretty much it for this episode. Anything else you want to say before we go? Like I said, definitely give Wagon's East a chance. Yeah. And it, like I said, it's man. free. It's free on a lot of streaming services. So you can check it out. Right. Sounds good. All right. Send us out. All right. Namaste and good luck. Namaste and good luck, everybody. Be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes.